Well, hello everyone, and I hope that your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 24. And uh, I'm sure you can hear, I just had a treatment, and so my voice is weak, but it'll be better next week. So just listen real closely. And now, would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, we just want to listen closely, not necessarily to my voice, but to hear your spirit communicate what needs to be said. So Lord, again, we thank you that you work through our, through our difficulties and that you always, show, you always show up, you always show yourself. Lord, may we all take a lesson in that, is that so often we think we need to do it. But Lord, you've promised to be our strength, to be able to work through us. So Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. We want to learn. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've left Paul um, traveling. We, we saw that he um, left again because of, because of another plot to kill him. And then it was his sister's son that heard about it. And, and then Paul had him go to the commander. And then the commander then protected Paul, actually, and now wanted to transfer him to Caesarea. And remember what we said last week, how we used, how we used 470 men to protect Paul. And then when Paul gets to um, Caesarea with a letter that the commander has written, and, and the commander wants, um, wants the governor, Felix, to be able to hear Paul because the commander cannot find anything wrong. He, he knows this is a religious problem, and he knows that... Well, he comes right out and says that he can't find anything that Paul did that was worthy of this kind of punishment or death. And so he is passing it on to Governor Felix. Well, the cavalry has arrived in Caesarea, and actually the plot that the Jewish leaders had failed, and now Paul is in Caesarea, and Felix says that because he has come from Cilicia, apparently that, that mattered, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered Paul to be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Just a little reminder Luke wants us to know that Paul, from now on, is going to be under some kind of prison watch. He is not going to have the freedom anymore to go to the churches. But does that mean that Paul is done? He's finished? He's going to throw in the towel? His ministry is over? No, far from it. You know, sometimes we have to remember that the Lord might change our course of direction. He might change our ministry. I think he does that. He changes our course, and we have to be very adjustable. We have to be so in the will. We have to desire to be in God's will and let him maneuver us wherever he knows he can use us the most. 
And so now we start with chapter 24. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. So now we have the high priest. We've got a, we've got a lawyer that, well, you're going to hear, and I'm sure you read many times this week. I mean, what kind of lawyer is this? He's such a, I hope you don't mind me saying it, he's such a blowbag. I mean, he just is... I mean, we hear about these lawyers that are kind of ambulance chasers and, and uh, you know, money grabbers. And, and I just, that went through my mind when I heard this lawyer because now he is standing before Felix and he's going to present his case. And he starts this way. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you and your foresight has brought about reforms to this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request I would, would I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. I mean, isn't that just sickening? I mean, you can tell that he is using flattery. You know, I, I started thinking about that. And it's not that we are trying to stall for time here, but, you know, that word flattery, that, that thought of, of, of being, well, flattery, it's not like a sincere compliment I mean, when you sincerely want to tell somebody something, your heart, it's coming from your heart, and you mean it. The word flattery is almost like deceit, and the where I get that is from, from the scripture. So I looked up a couple verses, just so that we're mindful that when we give a compliment, that it is a heart motive, and that we're sincere, and that we're not using flattery, which is something that we say for our own benefit, because that's what I felt here. I think he, he's just, it's just a sickening, obnoxious, nauseating kind of prelude. Now in Romans 16, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes these words, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching by smooth talk and flattery. Keep away from them. So he is kind of saying, beware of those people who are smooth talkers, who flatter. Because actually, they are not caring about giving you a sincere compliment. In fact, just the opposite. He's saying, keep away from them. They're deceitful. Okay, what about this? Jude 16. These godless men are crumblers and fault finders. I mean, here we've got Jude 
calling them godless. See, you can't be God-filled, Holy Spirit-filled, and self-filled at the same time. So Jude just pretty much says it point blank. These godless men are crumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. This one, this one to me is one of the best. I think it comes, well, it comes from Psalm 78, verses 35 and 36. They remembered that God was their rock, that God the Most High was their Redeemer. Now that sounds good, right? But the very next verse starts with, but, even though they knew that, they would, then they would flatter with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. See how you can even know something with your head? And yet, if it's not, if it does not come from your heart, if it's not Holy Spirit filled, look what look what the psalmist says. They flatter with their mouths, they lie with their tongues, their hearts are not loyal. And this is what I just feel is important to know the difference. Fake, real. We talk about that all the time. Are we real? Are we are we speaking because what's in our heart is going to come out of our mouth? And even though we think our words just they sound so flowery and but it's flattery and it's not real. Because our our whole point is for our own advantage. So it's just something to think about. He goes on to say, we have found this man, verse 5, to be a troublemaker. A troublemaker. Now in the King James, the, ver the version says, like a plague. It's like a plague. Stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. Stirring up riots all over the world. The only good thing I could think about there was that he knows how, how big the influence of Paul's ministry is. I mean, the fact that he says that he's stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world shows you that Paul has been busy. And he, he has a big track record and he has been willing through his, through his journeys to be able to affect a lot of people. And those people then teach other people. And before you know it, he is working with the world. I did. That, that part just made me smile. I thought that was really good. But the fact that they call him a troublemaker... 
that he's stirring up riots, and then he is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. He's a ringleader. I mean, it sounds like a circus. And Paul is not a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. And see what he's saying. He's trying to put Paul down. We know that Nazareth is, is known as a real lowly city. It's, it's known, well, remember that one, remember how one of the disciples first said, what, what good could come from Nazareth? So this lawyer is just trying to belittle Paul by saying he's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews joined in the, accus the accusation, asserting that these, that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, so, okay, now the lawyer has finished what he wanted to say through all this flattery. You've got, you've got him using other people to come alongside and say, yeah, 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 he is. He's a troublemaker. He, 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 makes, he stirs up riots. He's a ringleader. He desecrates the temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got, you've got this power going on, thinking that then, the, that then Felix will say, yeah, boy, he's really, he's really terrible. But the governor motioned now for Paul to speak. And I have to say, this was a very good move. Paul is very intelligent. And he is not using flattery here. But this is a good, good move on his on his. Um, it says, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation. See, it's a good move because Paul wants Felix to know that I've heard about you. I've heard that you've been a judge. In other words, I looked at that saying, I know that you're fair. I know that you look for proof. That that you're you're not you're not um, confused or you know when somebody's trying to flatter you and trying to blow smoke in your face. Paul says, "I know, I know that you've been a judge over the nation, so I gladly make my offense. You can easily." Verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. See, Paul is saying, I've got proof. And I know, Felix, that as a judge, you take all that into consideration. 
Verse 12, my accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. Again, he's saying, as a judge, you're going to be able to find out that these accusations are not true. They did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues. Verse 13, and they cannot prove to you the charges that they are making against me. They cannot prove it. However, I admit, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way which they call a sect. Now he is being very honest. He's saying, yes, I am very much a worshiper of God, the one God, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and Joshua and David. I worship the God of our fathers. But I have learned something. I have learned, and this is, this is it doesn't go into all of his testimony, but he's saying, I didn't get stuck there. I, my heart was opened. And we know what it was. We know that on the, on the street of Damascus, a light came. The light of Jesus came. And his heart was opened up so that he could see beyond, beyond the law, beyond Judaism. He saw beyond the Old Testament and now sees what Jesus has done, that Jesus the Messiah, the promised one, came into the world to save sinners, and he did. And through his life and death and resurrection, I now see clearly, I am now a follower of the way as well. It's not that he's saying, I am no longer a Jew. He's not saying that I no longer follow the Jewish, the Jewish way of life. I'm just saying that I've seen so much more now. I believe everything that agrees with the law. See, I believe, Paul says, I, I still believe the law and that it is and that is written in the prophets. Of course, he's saying, I still believe the Old Testament. I still believe Isaiah and Jeremiah and the major and minor prophets. I still believe what they promised. The thing is now I'm living. I'm living the promise. I now I now have learned what they promised because now Jesus has come. 
and I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. He basically is saying, I am a Pharisee. And so I believe the law and the prophets and the hope in God. And I believe that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. He's going to be able to explain that a little further when Felix's wife comes. But then he continues in verse 16. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. He's saying, I am trying hard to, I strive. I'm working hard at this. I love the law. I love the prophets. I love what they promised, but now I've watched Jesus fulfill that. And because of what Jesus has done for me, I now am a changed man. I want to do and live the way Jesus told me to live. My whole life, Paul is basically saying, my whole life I am working at listening to God's spirit so that I go where he wants me to go and I do what he wants me to do. Really what Paul is saying, I am now obedient to Jesus. It's not that I'm disowning my religious heritage but I want to listen to Jesus. I want to listen to his spirit. I want him to tell me. And that's why he says, I work hard, I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, Paul goes on, after, after an absence of several years, and if you go back, and so it's so good every once in a while to go back and reread after Paul's conversion. And then remember, he left for several years. And then in Acts chapter 11, remember how Barnabas went and found Saul then and brought him back. And this is what Paul is talking about. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. Go back and review Acts 11. And you will see that Barnabas and Paul were used to bring offerings back to Jerusalem. Paul goes on and says, I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. He's saying, I was ceremonially clean. I was ceremonial clean. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. I think if we could see Paul as he is speaking to the governor, 
I think you can really tell when somebody is innocent. Like Paul, you could be able to tell the countenance on his face. The way he talked with authority. When you are speaking the truth, you speak with confidence. Paul is not a slick speaker. When he's talking to Felix, he is expressing the truth. And in this way, he is trying to say, they have nothing. They have no proof. They are lying. Their hearts are so wrong. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia, verse 19, who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Can't you see what Paul is doing? He's saying, Felix, I know you were a judge and I know that you worked according to proof and truth. And he's saying, there's some Jews from the province of, province of Asia. They ought to come here before you. And they ought to, if there's something wrong, then you should have them come and bring charges. If. And that, that little two-letter word, if. They should come and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Remember when Paul talked about the resurrection. That the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection and they're part of the Sanhedrin, they got all worked up. He said, maybe, maybe it's when I shouted. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. I couldn't help but, but write this down when I was kind of thinking how Paul was handling this before Governor Felix. He is not at all, I give him such credit that he's just so bold and truthful. The way he's explaining it is coming across so bold and truthful. He's not, a, he's not avoiding. He's not trying to be sneaky. In fact, he says, bring him here. And, and he is, as he, as he progresses in his talk to Felix, you're going to hear it even more that he's just so sure of what he's saying. And he is not going to avoid any subjects 
for his own human self reason. He's going to make sure that the message of the gospel, that even in this, there's an opportunity for him to share. But there again, he's just honest. He's just totally honest where he says, well, maybe I did, I did shout because I'm, I'm so sure about the resurrection. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way. Isn't that something? The governor was well acquainted with the way. So we're not talking about somebody who's never heard about Jesus, who's never heard the gospel, who's never heard about the change in lives when they come to know Christ. He might not know everything, but he is acquainted. And then he, then when Lysisius, the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to keep him some, to, to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So did you catch that? Felix listened. He heard Paul. He was, he was acquainted with the message of the gospel. He didn't, he didn't say much. He just said, when Sisius, the commander, when he comes, then I will decide, I will decide your case. I think he thinks, I've got to think about this. I want to talk this over with the commander. He is not totally sure and convinced of this lawyer and these Jews that have accused him, that have accused Paul. So he says, I, we're going to think about it. When the commander comes. And then I think that this is quite a, a nice way just to throw him into some cold dungeon. He, he told the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and to allow his friends to come and take care of his needs. Now it just says, verse 24, it says several, several days later, Felix came with his wife. I just wonder if he went home and he said, boy, I had an unusual case today. And you might recognize his name. Or you might understand what, what is wrong or what the problem is. He's probably just 
talking to his wife. But Luke makes sure we know that he's, he's going to his wife because Jerusalem, Jerusalem, his wife, is a Jewess. And a Jewess is a woman who is a Jew. That, that surprised me. That you have Governor Felix is married to Jerusalem, a Jewess, and he's talking about the case to her. And can't you about imagine that his wife says, you got to hear him. I want to I wanna hear him too. So he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. I think his wife, I think Felix's wife, wants him to hear. And, he, and she wants Felix to hear the truth. And so as Paul, as Paul discoursed, and I don't know, I, I looked up to just make sure that that word discourse it's somebody who is so sure of his, he's just so sure of what he's going to say. He talks with authority. He talks with, he's sure. It's kind of like when we hear about the discourse of Jesus that he spoke toward the end of his life when he spoke very much with authority and he talked with such certainty. And so now Paul has a chance again to speak with Felix because, he, because Felix's wife encouraged him to listen to him. So he's going to hear him again. And so now Paul is going to now speak about three things. As Paul discoursed, as he discoursed, he talked with such authority, he's so sure, he's absolutely confident. It's another opportunity for him to speak with truth and boldness not avoiding for his own sake, fear for his own life. He's going to speak boldly about salvation. And these three points, he talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. He spoke on those three things. Now, I don't know how long he spoke but let's just, for a minute, talk about what is righteousness. He had to explain. He had to explain to Felix what righteousness is. Righteousness, there's no way you can talk about righteousness or even 
be made right. Unless you talk the gospel of Jesus, his reason for coming, his walk to Calvary, his death, his shed blood, and it's because of his blood our sins are forgiven, are healed. But the only way that can happen is if we confess, we confess ourselves the way we really are. We confess and we repent. And when we hear the gospel story, we sense the guilt of our own self. And we want to see and recognize what Christ came to do. We can't be righteous on our own. So when Paul is talking these three points, he got the gospel message straight across. Well, then Felix lets him go on. Point number two. Paul starts talking about self-control. Well, that's step number two because what happens to you and I when we come to the cross and accept Jesus as our Savior? We confess, we repent. The Holy Spirit instantly comes to live in our lives. And day by day, he now, through the power and the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus, changes our life. A little review of the nine fruit of the Spirit. We always say that love then goes to joy, then goes to peace, and then patience and then kindness, and then goodness, and then faithfulness, and then gentleness, and then self-control. Why is self-control the ninth fruit of the Spirit? Because all eight come together, and it controls ourself. The Spirit controls us. We are now listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit instead of the voice of ourself. When we come to know Jesus, our lives are not about ourselves anymore. They're about Him. They're about Jesus. Changes our worth, changes our purpose, changes everything. And we watch self become less and less and the very spirit of Jesus take over our new character and old is gone and the new is coming. Day by day, we're seeing a new, a new you, a new me because we're, we're self-controlled. When we're not self-controlled, we listen to the world. We follow our own self-instincts. 
we get overwhelmed with the dark and the down and the defeat and the worry and the panic. We lose our hope. We lose our joy. That's why when Paul was talking to Felix, he talked about righteousness. He talked about self-control. And you notice Felix keeps listening. And then Paul talks to him about judgment. And what is judgment? It's the consequences to what we are going to face if we do not follow step one and step two. There's going to be a judgment. There's going to be an eternal accountability before God. There are only two there are only two destinations for our eternity. If we follow step one and step two, then we will be able to know that we will spend our eternity, we will have eternal life with our Savior. Self will be put in its place and we will be listening to the voice of the Spirit of Jesus. And we'll experience abundant life now and eternal life with him. But if we choose to continue to follow in our own self-ways, if we don't listen to the truth of the gospel and the truth of righteousness and how we can be made right, then there is no point of knowing what the fruit of God's spirit is because we're only going to be living out the fruit of self And if we don't recognize the Spirit of God trying to get us to follow step number one and step number two, the consequence will be judgment. And that is where we will hear Jesus say, I don't know who you are. And he will cast that person into hell. You see, I keep repeating this verse, but Jesus says that with such intensity. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. He's pretty much saying, not everyone who sits in church every day or every week, not everyone who is religious Not everyone who does good works. Not everyone who says to me, Lord. And the one who says, Lord, is the one who does the will of the Father. The Father's will is that we become righteous through the blood of his Son. 
and that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. The Father's will is that we are controlled by God's Spirit. That we learn how to control what self wants to do. That there's evidence in our lives that we have the fruit of God's Spirit instead of the fruit of self. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, who says the words with their brains, but they've never experienced Jesus with her heart. And that's where the Spirit of God works and where he lives. I tell you, we can. I just love Paul here because he is not afraid to get personal. He is not a bit afraid to say one-on-one to Governor Felix. This is the way it is. Remember when Paul said, I don't care if I speak into the synagogue or whether I preach from house to house or whether there's crowds. I'm going to make sure that I Tell the truth, the only way, the only truth, the only life. He is not a bit afraid to talk one-on-one, face-to-face with the governor. Because even though he might be powerful, he's got quite a name. I don't care whether you are top of the so-called totem pole or whether you are the lowliest of the low. The one thing we have in common is that we all come equally at the cross. We all come to Jesus the same way. And Paul is willing to say what is absolutely necessary for salvation, one-on-one, face-to-face. He dares get personal. And then did you notice what happened? It wasn't the truth of righteousness. It wasn't even self-control. But when he talked about judgment, Luke is very clear. It says that when he spoke of that, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. Enough is enough. I've had enough. Now what happened? Fear will do that. When you are not sure of your salvation, if you are not sure of God's word, if you are not sure of the instructions that Jesus has made very clear, fear happens when you are not sure. And you then have chosen to plug your ears 
to reject. Or in this case, he's saying, enough for now, you may leave. When it's convenient, I'll call. But we don't, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. You can try to lighten it by saying, oh, enough for now. I'll call you later. That's just exactly, it's the same as rejection. Delaying is the same as rejecting. He says, at the same time, or Luke says in verse 26, after Felix says, when I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. That's a sad verse because you know what? This is what happens if you delay. We have an enemy. And don't think we don't. An enemy that will try to close our mind from the truth and let self just lie to you. What happened was Governor Felix said, I don't need that. I don't need any of that. And by delaying, he rejected and yeah, he did keep calling Paul back. But not for Paul to continue with his discourse. But self absolutely took over again. And he called for Paul only for a bribe. For a bribe. He, he knew. He was so hoping that money would be able to talk. Self took over. Money took over. Two years this went on. Two years he plucked his ears because he chose to reject the truth of the gospel. And this is what self does. All he wanted was money. And when Paul did not cut a bribe, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius, Festus. He was succeeded by another governor. But, this was so sad, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. See how his heart just grew colder and colder, more selfish after selfish. Pride after pride. Weak after weak. Cared more about man than the truth. Because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. And he 
just went about his way. He just went into retirement. He totally put Paul out of his mind. That is one sad way to end chapter 24. There are only two choices. It's not complicated. You either accept the truth or you reject. And then you watch self take over. And then you will face judgment. And you hear, you will hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Does, does this story at the end here, does this remind you of anyone? Does the end of this story, I mean, we have, we've compared Paul with so many ways of Jesus. But I can't help, I could not help but associate Felix with couldn't help. I couldn't help but compare Felix with Pilate. We know that with Jesus, we know that Pilate said, I find no fault in him. That, that Pilate's own wife said, you got to listen. This man is not guilty. There's just so many comparisons. And because Pilate was scared of the people, because he wanted to please the people, because he, he was afraid for his job, because he was a coward, because he plugged his ears to the truth, because he said, I wash my hands of this. And the same thing with Felix. Sold out his soul. You can sell out your soul. So I'm going to end by saying, you know, some of us can play religion. But I, I was not afraid this week to get personal. There are so many modern day preachers that are so afraid to get personal. They're afraid to address the truth of righteousness, the truth of self-control, and the truth of judgment. But Paul was not afraid. And I am not afraid. Because it's, it depends on eternal life or eternal death with what you choose. And if maybe you're saying, you know, I just don't, I just don't want to be such a, I don't, want, I don't want people to think I'm such a religious fanatic. Maybe you're trying to play, you know, kind of play a cool middle of the road. Or maybe there's even someone listening today that's saying, I'll do it later. There's plenty. I want fun now. I'll do it later.
I'll tell you, there's consequences. And that's why we hear from Scripture, today is the day of salvation. Maybe you're saying, oh, tomorrow? Do you realize that maybe tomorrow you won't hear the voice? That that voice of God's Spirit will be hushed and you've become so hard that you have just closed your ears? Or are you listening and you can sense like Felix, like Paul is telling the truth. But maybe you get to that word judgment and you want to plug your ears. Don't plug your ears. This is truth. If you are feeling any prick of God's spirit, today is the day of salvation because tomorrow may never come. Maybe you know that God's word is true. Maybe, maybe you've said this many times. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. It is all that I need. Maybe you've said that many times. And maybe, maybe you even believe that God's word really is true. With your head. But somehow, you're not getting the message. Isn't that something? You can even believe this book is true, but you're not connecting it to your heart. You're not really getting the message. Today is the day. Listen to his love for you. Listen to his spirit. May you sense his arms coming around you, showing you who you are. That you need salvation, everybody. Every one of us needs to come to the cross. And just think if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. Oh, we have it made because of Jesus. Heavenly Father, again, we praise you. You could have left us lost. But instead, you gave us a Savior. Holy Spirit, thank you for showing us ourselves as uncomfortable and painful and as guilty as that might make us. It will move us to the cross to find our salvation, to find our righteousness, to sense the Spirit of God changing our character, and to see less and less of ourself and more of Jesus in our lives. And then to know that we live in hope. We have eternal life life, the promise of a future with you. Don't let our hearts get troubled. We can believe in you. You're preparing a place for us. Father, we do have it made.
And his name is Jesus. Amen.